Attention students, the Jabroni University Network is now in session. Please make your way to class. This week is uh, the first the first guest that we've had on that I can say that I've shared a stage with, which is uh, which is something that I consider an honor. He is uh, if if the word journeyman uh, comes to if 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 the use of the word journeyman is, is uh, one you use, then I would call this this gentleman a journeyman. He is a staple in uh, post hardcore punk rock, and you've you've heard his bands, Garrison. Instruction, Godfire's Man. Uh, he has two new acts, The Judas Knife and Her Head's on Fire, which we are going to get into. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joseph Grillo to Why Did We Ever Meet? Hi, everybody. How are you, man? <laughs> I'm great. I'm really, good. really good. It's been a good day. Um, I picked up my kids from school and we went to the park for two hours and they ran around on jungle gyms. This is my five year old twins, and my daughter did the monkey bars the whole way for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So it's been a it's been a red letter day. They had a, a great dinner and they're in their pajamas, got a bath. They are almost ready for bed. So closing my wife in. took over. Yeah. So <laughs> it's been a, it's been one of those days when you get to the end of the day and you're like, I did a lot today. That feels yes. good. Yeah. yeah. That is it's nice to be have have a, a day come to an end and feel like you actually got some stuff done. That's yeah, absolutely. Um, I have to tell you this story because we were just catching up because I, I was in a band that played with you guys in the Midwest mm-hmm. a handful of times. And um, you are not going to remember this conversation, but I do because it stuck with me. And it, it kind of let me know as I went on in life that like uh, those things aren't that important. We were talking like you guys had crashed at our house uh, after a show in Toledo. Okay. We were all just bullshitting. And I had mentioned how we had paid for our own record and, you know, got it at the time, you know, got it on, put it out on CD, distributed it ourselves. It was a demo, but it was like, a you know, an expensive demo. Um, and talking about record labels and stuff. And you kind of like, it, like, and I'm not saying that this was you saying, like, don't send anything to Rev. But you, you kind of like said, like, if you guys are selling that thing, you don't need any of the labels right now. And I was like, huh, okay. And like, that was something I I thought about, you know, for, I still think about like knowing like you don't need them. And now today we see it like, yeah, bands don't need, didn't need that necessarily. You can forge a path. Yeah. And it's interesting too, to see, to see, um, because I'm still on the mindset of that. Like with, so, mm-hmm. so with, um, when Judas and I just finished a record and, mm-hmm. and we, um, we shopped it around to labels, you know? And, and it was just like, it's not that they can necessarily do anything that you or I couldn't do. Sure. It's just a question of how, how you want to be perceived. So, you know, like how, 
if if you're in a pop punk band and you come out on a metal label, mm. do you know what I mean? Like your the people's perception of that. If 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 people even pay attention anymore, and I'm not sure if they do. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if yes, people think of labels in the same way that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, that then having a that, that they used to be like tastemakers. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and so like Jade Tree, you'd be like, well, if it's on Jade Tree, it's got to be good, right? Yep. So <laughs> even if it's not maybe your cup of tea, you know that it's going to be quality and you're going to check mm-hmm. it out. So yeah, I don't know if that's the case anymore. I Yeah. And what's funny, too, uh, to piggyback off of that is some of the labels that were that were tastemakers for us, they're still they're just repressing a lot of those records and re-releasing them, which is interesting to me. Like I, I like, I'm not going to complain. I love, I love what like Arctic rodeo and labels like that are doing because Mm -hmm. it, if there is a gap there where people missed out on these records, this is a really good opportunity for them to hear bands that maybe they missed out on. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know that definitively people can, I, I don't, I might be just far enough out of the loop where I don't know if there are labels that are tastemakers. You know, I don't know. I'd assume that there are Jade Trees and and uh, initials and, and labels like that that exist, but I I don't know what they are and what they're doing. I think they exist. I don't. I don't think they're on the, on the um, the the platforms or, or, or the size that those sure. labels were. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that a lot of like a lot of labels that are quote unquote taste making labels are like cassette labels mm-hmm. and they'll be very um rural. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Not rural. Yep. Um I don't mean rural. I mean uh, more community based. Yeah. So it'll like they'll just do like Brooklyn, you yes. know, or they'll just do Queens or um or Toledo or whatever. And, right. and they won't be and they're kind of do their scene and so they are sort of documenting it. Yeah. Uh, like a Discord would. But um it's not on the level that those um, labels were because they just simply don't have the cash flow because nobody's buying physical prop, you know, product outside of the 200, 300, you know, copies. Right. Everybody else just listens to it on Spotify. Right. And like vinyl, while it might seem like it's everywhere, I don't, not everybody's buying records. Not everybody has a record player. And there was, there's plenty of our generation that were holdovers that were always buying records but this this is a still at the end of the day that that vinyl thing is still a niche i don't think mm-hmm. it's it you know i mean you yes you walk into target and you see a fucking justin timberlake record that's still a niche market they're not yes. they're not they're not capturing you know they're not selling millions basically yeah absolutely um, not uh so where what is your origin in terms of punk rock like what's this what is like the starting point because you've always you've you've been in in a lot of bands and it's it's been on this uh you've definitely been in bands that kind of go against the uh go against the the grain of things when a scene is going a certain way you've always had an art an artistic quality that i feel like you've protected with bands that you've been a part of that isn't just like, well, that's that that's the road they're going down. So we're going down that you've always, <laughs> you've always uh, kind of paved your own road. So what is like the tipping point for you? What, what starts punk rock for you into where you're at now? That's very kind of you to say. Um, and it is a compliment. I hope you, think. well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you know, when I was, I was introduced to sort of underground music mm-hmm in the late 80s early 90s so in the late 80s um around the same time 
that I started hearing The Cure and R.E.M. and Jane's Addiction, which are by no means um, underground bands. You know, they, they weren't on the radio, but they were selling out arenas. You know, right. Huge bands, really. Right. I mean, Jane's Addiction were, were doing theaters, but, yeah. but um, you know, The Cure was a mammoth band. Mm-hmm. Depeche Mode and things like that. I also got into, there was a place in, I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts originally. There was a place called the Worcester Artist Group or the WAG for short, and they would have shows. And, you know, it, you would see, you know, a metal band or a hardcore band or a goth band or a hippie jam band all on the same bill. And there would be open mic nights where you would see like bizarre performance art where there was a band that was called um, Industrial uh, industrial sonic echo and it was just basically like like um kind of what what sono did later it was just like sort yeah. of ambient like wah, um for hours and i was introduced to all of that all at the same time and i had a lot of different friends um luckily uh we had a good music program in my school uh, and i had a lot of friends who were into different things like i want my friend jeff was really into electronic stuff mm-hmm. so he would wade through you know, a hundred or so records a year of electronic music and give me the two or three that he was like, these are the ones, the best cream of the crop. And I would do the more sort of emo punk rock, guitar rock records and, you know, give him those, you know, he, okay, here's, you're not gonna like this, this and this, but you're gonna dig drive like Jehu. You're gonna like cursive, um, stuff like that. And I always thought, I think some of my first musical heroes you know, Fugazi, mm-hmm. um, for example, they saw hardcore punk rock as a forward progressing thing. Yes. It, it wasn't supposed to be a color by numbers. Oh, right. let's everybody keep doing what the Ramones did. Let's everybody keep doing what the Sex Pistols did. Let's everybody yeah. keep doing what Minor Threat did. You know, they, they were like, well, what's next? What skills can we incorporate? What sounds can we incorporate? And I always liked that. And I had never understood quite why anyone would want to be in a band that sounded exactly like another band you know like when yeah when a band like taking back sunday came out and they were quite popular you know we would be on the road and like every opening band would be like you know taking back tuesday and taking back wednesday and it's like okay guys we got it we got sunday we don't need to fight for it anymore it's ours yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) and just because that didn't interest me it's not that it's not that I begrudge people that that, that it that it does interest. Mm-hmm. Um, it just wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea. I, I didn't get into it to to for just the entertainment value right. of it. Yeah. Although I do like entertainment and I do love performing. I have a theater background. Like mm-hmm. I do like aspects of that. I also wanted the music to be somewhat um, to have a voice, you know, yeah. not necessarily be, I'm not reinventing the wheel and, you know, still guitar, do guitars, bass drums. Like it yeah. sounds like a lot of things, but I wanted it to at least have a, a voice that was unique. And I think, I think that's always been when I think of your band, the bands you're a part of or bands that you've kind of, you've been the front for, there is that quality. And, and I like the same integrity that with that integrity that Fugazi had of like, it doesn't have to sound like it should evolve. This music should progress past. I mean, I love, I, you know, I, I will gladly listen to a Garrison record. I mean, you guys are a band that I, I love and thoroughly enjoy, but I'm extremely excited to hear <laughs> the Judas knife. I'm excited to hear her heads on fire because what's happening now 
is really like, I mean, that, I, that to me has always been the embodiment of what punk rock and hardcore post-hardcore and even all this this stuff should be is what's happening now what is it does it sound like it used to like eh, somewhat but there's that modern aspect whatever the whatever the aspect is of that point in time i feel like Mm -hmm. usually penetrates through every time a scene bursts open somewhere Mm -hmm. and i think for like it from you know from a, a an audience perspective it it's far more challenging and in a good way to see a band that's not like the three other bands on the bill. I, mm-hmm. Like you, like you'd said, like the whole taking back Sunday thing, like seeing every, every bill you're on, uh, that's what the band sounded like because that's what it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, you can't, and that stuff, when you see that, when you see those carbon copies, I feel like it never lasts. It's a, it's yeah. a burst and then it goes away. And it's, it's kind of, you know, you know, I, I like aspects of pop music, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. I like hooks. Mm-hmm. But pop punk has always befuddled me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's punk rock about trying to sound like Burt Bacharach. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I, I don't know what's like, like, the. there's nothing, when I hear a pop punk band, there's nothing, those those words still seem dichotomous to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah. Um, and I really do like, I really do like some pop music, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying, but to, to try and marry them always sounds a little dopey to me. I, I've always, I, I feel like now I look at it as it's, it's power pop. Yeah. Like if you're going to call it anything, like it's more power pop because like you're saying, like saying it's punk rock <laughs> and like the two don't necessarily lock up. Yeah. I think pop punk is in such, is such a part of the vernacular that people mm-hmm. use with music that I don't know that a lot of people are stopping and going, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, you know, there's bands like you listen to something like the replacements, right. And it's sure to me, it's like great songwriting that also has some hooks, but, but the hooks are not the goal. Right. The, the sing along isn't the point. And, yeah. you know, and again, like it, it's totally cool that other people do it. It's just not my cup of tea to hear like, um, I don't know. I can't think of the, the million sort of cookie cutter bands that do it. Like, it's just right. not for me, yeah. you know? Um, it, there's a lot of things like that. Like, um, uh, I can tell by your Instagram, you like horror films. Yes. Yeah. I yeah. don't like horror films. Yeah. And it's not that like, it's nothing. I, I mean, like there's a handful, like I like, you know, Jaws, Rosemary's sure. Baby, yeah, The Shining. Yeah, yeah the classic, the, the, the cinematic the classic, classics. Like, actually scary fucking movies. Yeah. But like slasher films and things like that, I'm like, nah. Yeah. But I, but I can see where you can get into a mindset where you can go deep with that and be like, oh, here's why it's cool. And right. so I understand. I think it's actually budding filmmakers that really love that stuff. Yeah. It, it, my sense is that people that like, that, that are into direction that like i'm sure you 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 have some movie background that 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 is a lot of reason why a lot of people like dustin because you can you can deconstruct it yes whereas it's really hard to deconstruct the spielberg film right right it's very yes it's very much on on the page or on the screen so so to speak when you're looking at that and i think that is the case a lot of times where these uh the filmmakers that break out now that's what their background is. They grew up on horror movies, you know, on slasher mm-hmm. films or Italian horror. And they grew up uh, looking at like 
peeling back the layers to see like what what is what is artistic about this and that's that's why people like like a Dario Argento their legacy withstood because people went oh this isn't just blood like there's a really unique filmmaker behind this and it's it's masked in the uh exploitation propaganda of of how they marketed this movie but mm-hmm. when you look at the movie th- there's a, a whole gorgeous appeal to it and it is the same with music i think that there are some artists in our lifetime that we've looked at and went oh those are really good songs but the more you peel back you realize like there's there's a genuine artist in there that's making something mm-hmm. intriguing and i've like you going back to like you'd mentioned fugazi i uh, it was a while back i had a conversation with my son and i said that like I love Fugazi, but I I would say more than anything, they might be the most important band in my lifetime. Oh, yeah. I would say so. Because they're they it's such a seismic shift and the effect that they had on music that it yeah. I think it, it, it transcends just like our world of, of punk rock where mm-hmm. it it's affected how people do things outside of that and just there's ripples to to what they do and and you know you you would be a person that you know musically i think is has shown that you're affected by that mentality i mean your music is all of your bands are unique <laughs> i like i know they're just the thing that you make and you're a part of but standing outside of it and i i would assume people have said that to you you have a you, your your resume is super unique no thanks i mean well i'm i'm just curious you know like i think that yeah you know, like I think in some in some ways, to to most listeners, it'll all sound the same if I'm singing. It all kind of sounds like me, right? Okay. But, yeah. But yeah, like I'm trying to do. I don't. I don't want to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like when because I've done it. You know, so it's not it's right. not exciting. It's not exciting. I mean, you you do think about it a little bit sometimes. You're like, wow, that you know, people really like that particular thing I did. Sure. Maybe I should do a little bit more of that. You know, I think about how that has to affect bands like, um, you know, I mentioned Jane's Addiction earlier. Now, yeah. Jane's Addiction, who I adored, um, and I just thought they were so interesting and challenging. Well, I remember when they made um, Ben Caught Stealing, the single, and I thought, well, that's the dumbest song they've ever done. Yeah. But they got all this attention for it. So you have to imagine, what is it like to be in their shoes? And they've been, you know, plugging away at it for a while and they've had some success, but right. suddenly they're on TV a lot. And people are like, oh my God, I love that song, Ben Cost Stealing. It must, you, it must have some effect on you, an artist. You, you must go, well, maybe we should do a little bit more of this. Of course. Like, yeah. You know, and, and I think that, you know, and God, that sucks. Like, because yeah. the end result is, is, is not good, uh, not challenging. Right. Artistry, because you start you start playing a game. Right. And it's a, it's an interesting game mm-hmm. of like, what do people want? How do I give it to them? And how do I, you know, couch a little bit of in, intrigue in it? And then there's in some way, it, I guess it's, it's both a harder and an easier game is that you just do what you want. And if you do yeah. what you want, it's either going to resonate or not. But you have to be OK with the result. So if I make a record that take the Judas Knife record right yep super proud of it I love it um you know nobody else may like it but I'm okay with it because I've made that decision yeah 
Whereas if I was trying to make something that people would gravitate towards, it wouldn't be Judas Knife Record. Yeah. If I was trying to make something that would get me more notoriety, it wouldn't be that record. Yeah. So, so in a way I, I can be like, well, you know, I just made something that people dig it cool. And if they don't fine. Yeah. And I, I, um, I like that you pointed that out too, because you were, you know, you have your bands that were, you were, you were fronting, but then you were also, um, you were in instruction Mm -hmm. and god fires man and i I mean while you were you were definitely a member of that band i feel like uh, i've i i feel like i get the impression that you were like this isn't necessarily just my band this is like this was a what would you how would you how do you view those bands in comparison like you're a part you're a member of the band or like how do you break that down if you're explaining that to someone it was kind of strange. So, so Garrison, I'm trying to think about the way I, I always really, especially in the early days, liked working with collaborators. Yeah. Um, other songwriters, because one, I wasn't that confident in myself as a songwriter. Okay, sure. And, and two, I just, I liked, I liked collaboration because I liked the idea of making something, um, that is, not what I could have possibly thought, mm-hmm. you know, like I really, you know, as much as I appreciate somebody like Trent Reznor and nine inch nails, right. like, sure. I yeah. get bored. I get bored. If I know, if I always know the beginning, middle end, mm-hmm. if nobody goes, Hey man, how about this? If, if, if I always know it, I get bored. I can't, yep. that's not inspiring to me. So I, I did a band called Garrison, which I guess was the first band that I had some notoriety with. And that was myself and a guy named Ed McNamara. And we've known each other since we were, I think, third or fourth grade. And we really wrote interestingly, you know, um, sometimes complimentary, sometimes not. But I thought it was interesting. Yeah. That band disintegrated. And, you know, we were both kind of mutual band leaders, or at least the band leader was was our argument, disagreement, and then resolution. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... I had the opportunity to join instruction. So I had moved to New York city and Garrison had broke up and I, I was just playing around with people like, and instruction who had who Garrison had played shows with, who I loved them as a band mm-hmm. were in the studio making their first full length for Geffen records. Yeah. And uh, Bob Ezrin was recording it. And um, Tom, their guitar player was uh I think the polite thing to say is a bit of a wild card. And so they said, <laughs> I know the type. <laughs> yeah. So Bob Ezrin said, look, you know, um, you guys do a lot of backing vocals on the record. Now that you're going to go out and tour this record, why don't you get a fifth member in and get somebody else in? Because Joe can sing, he can play guitar. And if for some reason Tom can't continue, <laughs> you just move Joe over in the slot. And he's already part of the family. And right. So, that was sort of the, the impetus for that. So I was kind of coming in as a hired gun and maybe a replacement. Okay. Um, yeah. Now Artie is an incredibly strong-willed, um, uh, visionary kind of songwriter. He, it comes he is through in his music. Writer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really he, does. He knows what he wants. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah. um, he really does. And, yeah. and, you know, 
we would write and I'd be like, Hey man, check this out. And he'd be like, yeah, why don't you try it like this? And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> that's not what I, but that's actually pretty damn good. Um, and, and it's actually nice to sit in with a songwriter of his caliber and learn his tricks. Yeah. Like I know how we write songs now. Yeah. I know his tricks. I know like little things that he does. Like, and then we did God fires man after instruction yeah. got dropped and we got broke up. And that was a little bit more collaborative. It was still arty, but he was allowing me to shape things a little bit more sonically. Mm-hmm. So he would come on, come in with these ideas and I was like, okay, well let's take that and let's kind of go here with it. Yeah. Um, and that, so that was, I don't think of instructions records as something sonically that I was a part of. Well, I didn't actually play on the records. I played on some B sides. Right. But like, even when I hear that band, I don't think of it as my band. Okay. Um, even yeah. though I was in it for years and we toured um, those songs. Whereas Godfire's Man, I'm like, yeah, that, that's, I'm, I'm part of that. Right. Um, for sure. And, and then at the same time, we did Gay for Johnny Depp, which was yeah. to equal out my, my, allow, my being a foil for Artie in his vision. <laughs> I said, okay, well, let's flip it. Like Gay yeah. for Johnny Depp is my idea. You'll play with me and you'll sing. But it, I have final say, and I write the songs, and I tell you what to do. Yeah, and so, and he's the only person I can imagine doing that with. Like he's he's great, and we were able to balance that. And like he would bring ideas that really pushed the songs forward. Yeah, but I would be like, yes, no, yes, you know, like yeah. Um, so that was really neat. For God, that went from I guess both those bands started in '03, or at least I became part of '03 or '04 till. I gave John Depp went until 2012. Um, That's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, Artie, I, I feel like his band, like his music, like he's, he's polarizing depending on who I talk to, I feel like. And I, I find that, I find it odd because when I think of the bands that I love from that world, I think of, of, you know, like I love Garrison. I love Air Type Eleven. I, mm-hmm. you know, I I like these guitar heavy bands, and um, I look at like his songwriting as a prime example of somebody like you said. Like he has a very specific vision of what he's after, and I feel like his he's got several bands there right in a row that I'm like that that sounds like it could have been on the radio. You know, like yeah. like there's there's definitely like this a radio quality to what he's doing. I don't know how shit gets through and shit doesn't, you know, but I mean, like I look at, I was in interview, you know, I've interviewed several of uh, your peers from that era. And that that's the thing I think that nobody has really, and there's been this common thread of like, everybody has mentioned REM and Jane's addiction, which I think mm-hmm. is really interesting. But then everybody's kind of had the same thing of like, who knows like we were all popping off at the same time. Who knows why the fuck got through what got through? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it all. It's something I think that artists are always chasing. Like, why is this a massive thing? And this, which sounds like it should be massive is not, I'll, I'll never. And it's not about somebody comp- necessarily compromising any sort of artistic uh, uh, credibility or integrity. It's just, what slips through and why? And you've been playing in bands a long time. Like, do you, I would assume at this point, you probably don't have a cynical view on it so much as like a, a wide open view of it. Like what, how do you see that whole thing? 
you you don't have too much control over it. Yeah. Like you have control over over the microcosm. You have control of the music you write and the show you put on. Yeah. Um, you know, there's nothing that that's more like deuce chilling than seeing a band trying to do something they're not because they want to be popular. Yeah. It's just, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, right? Yeah. So, so you can, you can write, write songs. You can say you want a particular aesthetic. You could say, Hey guys, I want us to all dress in suits or, um, I want a horn section like, you know, rock from the crypt. We should all have yep. pompadours. Yep. You can control that aspect of it, mm-hmm. but whether or not people dig it, you know what I mean? It's not really up to you because it has to be, you know, sort of genuine. And there's yeah. something interesting that a lot of artists do is, is, you know, if they come from a scene, right. They hit a moment where they try and do something different, but the, the, the something different is not integrated into what they do. It, it's yeah. just out of left field because it's what they listen to. And this is a really hard thing to do for people. So if you listen to, I don't know, like just a simple thing for like, you know, like uh, Chuck Reagan did an acoustic thing. Yeah. You know, more roots rocky thing that worked really well yep. from didn't sound really like hot music Yeah, from our scene. I don't think you can do a shoegaze band really. Unless you're from England, yeah. Like, I unless am, you kind of have a voice for that, like, <laughs> yeah. And and like in the same way that, that I think it's very very hard to do, a, you know, try and sound like you grew up in Appalachia if you didn't grow up in Appalachia. Yep. Um, yes. There's a few people that can do it. Um, are you are you into um, Black Rebel Motorcycle Club? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So their first two records, you know, kind of like ballsy rock records. The yep. third record, Howl. Mm-hmm. is Roots Rock Americana Gospel. Yeah. And it's authentic. And I am so jealous of that ability to uh, mimic, or, or not mimic, but um, incorporate. <laughs> right, yeah, make it a part. It's uh, another another band that I think of in that context would be a band like Spiritualized. Oh, yeah. Only they, they, they sound can, like that. Yeah, they can do anything. Yes, and yeah. and when they do whatever they're doing... Yeah, he can do yeah. anything. It's and whoever he hires. But there's another yeah. guy. It's a vision guy, you know. Um, yeah. But everything he touches, no matter how how much it may contrast what he did five years before that, it all works. I've always compared it to like um, no nobody knew what Abraham Lincoln sounded like, and then that Lincoln movie came out. And Daniel Day Lewis opens his mouth, and we're like, "Oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's what Abraham Lincoln sounds like." Yeah, right. right. You know, because. Right you have this person that's conveying that to you and you're like, holy shit. Yeah, of course. That's what he's not. We just accepted it. And they're that good at their job. (laughs) And, and, you know, like you'd mentioned with the shoegaze thing, it's really hard to like, if, if you've got, if there's a bunch of guys from Detroit that are up on stage doing that, I'm going to go, I know you like, this is, this is us. This is where we're from. We are not, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we don't make records like that around here. Well, it's just, it's just, how do you, how do you, you can incorporate those sounds, but you have to, you can't mimic the voice. Right. It yeah. still has to be your own voice, you know? So it's like, so it becomes really challenging, you know? And then yeah. I think that's probably why I've, I've had so many different bands. I think 
Mm. Um, rather than let's say let's say Garrison never broke up, right? All these different albums I've done were under one schizophrenic umbrella, right? That would be that would be hard for me to do, yeah. Because I kind of always like bands that um, where other than a few tracks on the record, you kind of know what you're gonna get. I like when I, you listen to, I say, yeah, I get it. You listen to Quicksand yep. record, you know every no, song. You're getting, you can start at track three, you can start at track seven. Uh-huh. You're gonna get what you want. Yeah. Um, you know, you listen to, um, I mean, you, you can do this more challenging, you know, you could, you could do like Radiohead. Now Radiohead takes really fascinating turns, but it's definitely Radiohead. Like they're giving you what you want. They're, they're not, they're not going to come out with a pop punk song. They're not going to come out with, like, okay. Yeah. They're going to yeah. give you yep. this dance journey. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I kind of liked, and I think, I think it was maybe growing up in the late eighties, early nineties and seeing John Reese was a huge influence. And so I loved Drive with Jehu and Rock from the Crypt. And I loved that you could do two different bands at the same time that sounded remarkably different. Right. And have their own voices. And I really like that. Yeah. You, know, you could be Stephen King and, you know, Richard Bachman. Right. You could, you could, you could write with different voices. Yes. Um, if, if you were, if you could push yourself enough to and i think the interesting thing is a lot of those um, a john reese is is an example of that and and you like don't sell yourself short yeah. you your voice you. your voice is in your bands like you know it's when i listen to garrison or i listen to um uh uh we hate our free i hate our freedom uh and then what's coming from you we'll know if we've been listening to your work long enough at least i feel like that a fan is going to know, like, this is Joseph Grillo. This is cool. his music. And I think that's that's ultimately, like, what makes, like, you when you said Radiohead, that's a good example of, like, it all somehow fits in their sphere. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you can't explain it other than it's Radiohead. In the same way with Trent Reznor, you're like, it's Nine Inch Nails. I don't know why it's Nine Inch Nails. And the fucking movie soundtrack isn't, but it is. And... You know, this is, it's still the same dude and it all fits in there. And somehow, because like, because I think at the beginning they had an all encompassing vision. You okay. Know what I mean? Where, yeah, whereas, sure. like, like they, they were, you know, like uh, Drive Like Jehu, for example, who I, yeah. adore, like, they can't come out with like a, you know, uh, I don't know, a lounge record. No. Because or that like, wasn't the, the concept. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas Radiohead, their, their concept was big cinematic. Mm-hmm they could go anywhere. Sure. You know, yeah. um, uh, and I think that's neat, you know, even, you know, as, as, as sonically adventurous as Fugazi are, it's a Fugazi record. It's Fugazi. You know record. what I mean? Yeah. Like they don't, they don't really break the mold too much. Right. Um, right. Of what they do. Yeah. As much as, uh, as much as the, the last record in comparison to like steady diet of nothing. Mm-hmm. We still know that's Fugazi. I, yeah, because they took their agree. vision and expanded it. Yes, they didn't. Yeah, go in a in a, a weird direction. Yeah, what um, do you look back? Do you look back fondly over all of this? Like, did it take you some time to? Because you walked away from music for a few years, right? Well, yeah, well, I had kids. Yeah, so that was <laughs> that'll occupy your time. <laughs> you know, I know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't want to be a dad for a long time because I knew I was going to be good at it. And I knew being good at it meant sacrifice. Yep. And so I wasn't willing to sacrifice until I was 41. Yeah. So 
yeah. you know, and, and I'm quite happy I did. And I yeah. love being a dad right now, but I don't think I would have been a good father in my twenties. Sure. Oh um, yeah. You know, so no, I look back on it all fondly now. Mm-hmm. It takes a while with certain records because of the interpersonal okay. dynamic you have with the band members. So it takes, gotcha. it takes a yeah. while to listen to, like what we were just talking about, we just had a big, you know, my, all the garrison guys got on a zoom call and it was a nice big group therapy session for us all. Nice. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say nice. Know, was it good? Was it good? No, it was awesome. Okay. It was great. Right, cool. <laughs> but you know, we talked about the mile and cold water record, which was the first full length. Yep. And that was a really hard record for me to listen to for a long time because that was the first iteration of the band breaking up. And when we were making that record, I knew the rhythm section was leaving. Okay. So I had this, like, it was very bittersweet. Like, I was like, well, I'm so happy to get to make this. I said, but, you know, we didn't know who we were going to get in yet. We didn't know if we were going to continue. Right. So, like, it was a very um, kind of emotionally rocky time. Yeah. So it took me a long, I mean, several years to be able to listen to that record and not think about that. Mm-hmm. And just listen and be like, oh, we created something. I'm going to try right. and take it at face value rather than from the from the out, from the inside out. You know? Right. And what what is the is it just time? Does time do that? It's or just time. okay, yeah. all right. I uh, think. I mean, in my my experience, you know. Yeah. Does everybody do you, when you guys all get together like that on a Zoom call? Like, does everybody? Is it interesting all these years later to hear, like? How every, how every, yeah, how everybody's aged with those records. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating because that band had a lot of ex-members. So there's a lot of people sure. in there and, 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 you know, we're, it's like, I'm, I'm, I jokingly say group therapy session, but it, it's true. I mean, we are, we are like hashing some stuff out. Stuff comes up and you're like, wait, you thought that? Like, I, I didn't, I didn't mean that at all or yeah. vice versa. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You did I, this. Like, and and it's still very, you know, friendly and loving because we're many years past that now. Sure. But there's definitely a lot of like, wow, huh? All these years I thought that I was wrong. That's crazy, isn't it? That's pretty neat. Yeah, it's neat to be able to have the opportunity to do it because of modern technology. Yeah, yeah, you know? of course, and uh, yeah, everybody's in different places. But I think, I think that's fascinating too, and I. I think it's really cool how, I mean, social media is a fucking disaster, but I, more so than any of them, I think Instagram has allowed all of, like, all of us to find these, you know, connect with these musicians and these bands that we used to love because, like, oh, Joseph Grillo's on Instagram. That's so cool. Oh, here's his life. Here's what he's been doing. Holy shit. Like there's, there's a more, it is, it's incredible. And it, you know, it provides those opportunities where you guys can all see each other's lives, kind of how they're, how they're unfolding. But then to go back like this on, on a zoom call and revisit those, Hey, this record, do you remember this person? Like, Oh yeah. Like all of those memories that flood back with it. I, I, I think that's so um, there, there's something very com- comforting about that. That yeah, every it's, it, it's super illuminating and it has a yeah. huge full circle effect. Yeah. You know, I kind of want to do it with all my bands now. <laughs> like get everybody together. Like, Hey man, like, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really, really neat. It's and, and um, just to 
to see how our lives have mirrored each other or how they've been very different. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm always fascinated in what people have been making, what they've been doing. Yes. Have they stayed creative? Um, and if they haven't stayed creative, like, well, then how did they channel it? You know, how they channeled it into being a parent, which is an incredibly creative endeavor. Um, what do they do to satisfy that thing that the band used to satisfy? Right. Right. That, and, and that's because if, if you've created art at any point in your life, you know, this as well as I do, you're going to always crave in some way, like it's, it's, it's a part of our mental health and our mental well being is how am I creatively stimulating myself? And I, I think, of course, and I think that like, I always find myself falling back into a band or getting involved in another film project. And it just, and it's like you, it's like, I just, it's in me. It's a compulsion to want to make stuff. And it's, it's cool to see to meet new people and engage in those new, you know, some a, a new creative endeavor with somebody new. But then, if something pops up with somebody from your past, even better, you know. I, mm-hmm. I, I think we're in a really, we're in a fucked up time, but we're in a fascinating time too. Like, yeah, I mean, you have to look at it like that, don't you? Like, I mean, yeah. Otherwise, you might as well just like take right <laughs> take and die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, it is. It's 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 neat that we're able. I'm sorry, I don't, neat makes it sound so trite, but I I mean it bigger than neat. It it's really fantastic that 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 these technological technological systems exist for us to expand the way we communicate with each other, yeah. and that we're taking advantage of them. That you know I'm I'm prob- I'm too old to be on TikTok, for example. I'm not going to sure. do that. Like, um, but Instagram works. You know, or even texting people, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. wasn't around when we started, you know, like, mm. and, and email, I remember, you know, a long time before email. So that stuff is great, you know, and that yeah. we can communicate and stay fresh in each other's lives. I mean, that that's really fascinating. It is. It's more real time too. Like that's yeah. you know, doing things in real time. Are, do you have, do you have a favorite record? Like when you look back on all of these albums and bands you've been a part of, like I know I I feel like artists always say like this thing I'm working on now is the most fulfilling, and I would hope so because it's yeah. it's the thing you're pouring yourself into. But do you look back on at on all of these bands and there's something that you're like I am eternally proud of that that is a that is a piece of art that I'm really fucking proud I made. There's there's records that. I think the records that do that are the ones that came up that you had a vision mm-hmm. and the execution was better than you thought it was going to be. Sure. So, so, you know, for Garrison's first EP, mm-hmm. the Ben before the break, that at my ability level and my recording experience, that was a big moment for me to be able to, to make a record mm-hmm. um, with Brian McTurnan and have him sort of realize a sound that we were going for. Sure. Yeah. And hearing it, hearing a finished product and yeah. then having it come out, um, you know, 
on vinyl and on CD on an international label, like right. the whole rigmarole around that. Right. There's a lot of like happy memories to it. Um, the other EP that Garrison did, the model, which is I a love, smaller I, release. I love that record though. I, that, I love that record too. I think like, that, that that was huge for me. It's such a good, it's such a good record. It's so that, perfectly laid out. Thank you. I mean, that was, that was a huge, like, that was another, like, we're going to try and do this. And mm-hmm. the end result was, was even better than I thought it could have been. I think the, um, I hate her freedom. Second record, the, this year's best disaster is like that to me. Love the, I, I, I love both those records. Uh, the, both, I hate our freedom records. Uh, the, the model, what, what was different on that? When you look at that in comparison to be a criminal or, um, a mile in cold water, like what, what's different for you in that? Well, if you, I mean, the lineup changes on, on almost every record. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, the, the thing with that one was we had made a decision after be a criminal, which kind of goes in the face a little bit of what I said earlier, but yeah. we had made a decision because we were watching all of our peers get signed like my oh, chemical romance and yeah. Thursday and taking by yep. Sunday. And, and we were like, why does nobody want to talk to us? Yeah. <laughs> um, and we made a conscious effort to try and make music that was still us that could be enjoyed outside of our scene. Sure. So yep. I think <laughs> I remember specifically, like we'd done when we did be a criminal, um, with Jay Robbins, we felt very like not only was it a super focused record in concept, yep. um, musically we we set parameters. We said nothing can be um, over two two minutes or three minutes. Um, nothing can be um, less than a certain BPM. We set a BPM that everything needed to be beats per minute to. And then we wrote the record, and I felt really proud of that vision yeah. and that execution. Um, and then I remember thinking like, oh wow, and like we're an emo band that's being really rock. I think what's so new, right? Everything's so new. Um, and then, like two weeks before the record came out, or three weeks, or whatever, I remember we played a show in Long Island, and um, Tommy Orza, who's the bass player from On the Might of Princess, his little brother Greg worked at a record store, I think, and he had an advanced copy of Jimmy Eat World Bleed American. And we got into his car and he put it on, and my jaw dropped, and I was like. Oh no. Well, we've been beaten to the punch, <laughs> but, but like beaten to the punch, like a thousand times better. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that's that. Um, and then I think that, that the model was kind of an effort to, to, to rise out of the punk, punk hardcore scene. Yeah. You know, scene. Yeah. You yeah. know, we were trying to be like, Hey man, like not necessarily, be a radio rock band but but hey we we have songs that you know maybe people that aren't from this scene will like right yeah you know yeah. um or we can write in a way that maybe maybe people yeah that, that aren't you know embroiled in this will enjoy you guys also worked with you said you named two of them you guys worked with some really incredible producers oh yeah we sure did like just um, just those yeah. two alone brian mcturnan and jay and jay are like i mean that that's fucking incredible Working with Jay the first time is such a trip because you don't realize, like, um, you know, say, like, you should never meet your heroes, but that's bullshit because yeah. he's amazing. He's such yeah. a nice guy. But um, you don't realize it's him 
It's yes. Jay Robbins. You're like, it's yep. Jay Robbins, not Jay Robbins. Right. Until you're in the control room and you're doing vocals and he sings a harmony back to you. He goes, why don't oh. you try this? And he sings your lyrics back to you and you're like, holy <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's the, the guy moment. from Jawbox is you're singing like, your fucking song shit. to you. <laughs> you know, like that's like the moment that yeah. you're like, oh, all right. Wow. We're here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was fun. Yeah, we've been. I've been really fortunate. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, Kurt Blue. Yeah, um, yeah. Andrew Schneider. Yeah, I mean, some really, really great people we've recorded with. Ethan Dusso, who was in Garrison, mm-hmm. recorded almost all the Gabe Johnny Depp stuff. Um, okay. He, you know, he's phenomenal. He yeah. was perfect. I think. I think that uh, I'm really fascinated by the right person for the right job. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, I think Miles Davis. You know his. You know, incredibly talented human being, but like he had the talent of his virtuosity and his mm-hmm. playing, but he also had an amazing talent for putting together bands. Yeah. Yeah. He knew to get the right people in the room would create magic. Yep. And so I really love those things. Like I love assembling projects. Mm-hmm. Um, I love assembling, you know, uh, who's going to record it because they're, they're just as important, you know, it, it, at that level, like, you know, the last record, Judas night that I did, I'll mm-hmm. send, I'll send you some of the tracks when we, yeah, when, please when do. we finish up, um, was with Kurt and Kurt's the only person I know that could have done it. Okay. He, he, he's without going too much into it. He's just the right person for it. He's just the right temperament. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, adventurously creative like he he just has the right combination there's other records that i will do in the future that he's that aren't for him right right but like he's my guy for that like and you know and i love that like i would love to work with jay robbins again but i haven't yet done a project that's right for it sure even though it's been like i don't know what's it it's been 20 years like yeah. i would love to work with jay again but i haven't i don't have anything that's right for it so I, when I, I do i'll call him it's funny too that he cuz he did be a criminal mm-hmm. and it sounds if you pay attention to those things it it, it makes complete sense that jay produced that record mm-hmm. like that all of that all of that links up and i'm i've always been uh, cuz you know i mean We've got two jaw bands. We've got Jawbreaker, Jawbox, mm-hmm. and I always, I was always Jawbox. I, I, I love them both. You're a musician, <laughs> and, and and is that what it is? Like, yeah, because... Jawbreaker, Jawbreaker is is phenomenal songwriting. The thing yes. about Jawbreaker yeah. is like, is like Twenty Four Hour Revenge Therapy is the worst sounding record ever made. Yeah, but it doesn't matter nope. because the songs are so good. Yep, that they that it permeates. Yes, and it's actually better that it sounds shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when I think of Jawbreaker and I really hope they never listen to this podcast because I'm not trying to insult <laughs> the other band members, it's Blake. Like it's, it's Blake. And then the band, it's not to take anything away from the other guys oh. in the band, but it's like, it's the thing that's special about that is his voice and his lyrics. The chord yes. progressions, meh, yep. the changes, meh, pretty, pretty, it's fine. Standard, but it's yep. him. Yeah. Whereas Jawbox is like the drumming and the bass playing and both guitarists 
and the vocals yeah. and the songwriting. Yep. And it's all just like, Oh my God, it's so yep. dense. Yeah. Um, whereas Jawbreaker is just like, it's one voice and that voice is fucking cool as shit. Oh my God. Yeah. And well, like, is there ever, has there ever been anyone in the history of this music that, that came up with the better, like that guy's first line of every song was like, Oh, like he's just, I don't know. It's, it's masterful, but with Jawbox, it's a full band. And like, even the transitions, you're like, fuck God, this yeah. being so good. And I, I, I his solo record, uh, I, I love his solo. Show. I just like everything he touches, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you guys made a record with him and it sounds like it's, it, it's such a cool, I look now as a fan of both he, he and Garrison. And I look at that and go, this is like the, the, the those songs match perfectly with his ability. I, I don't think you could have chosen a better person to be behind the board. Yeah, I mean, we were like huge that. fans and we also yeah. think because, because we were also intimidated. Sure. Um, and I, and I use that in a complimentary way, like yeah. by going in the studio with him, like we would shed it so hard before we made that record. Yep. I, we recorded it three times, like just on like cassette, just to like, yeah. to, because we were so like, we've got to be good for Jay. We've got to be good. Like, you know, and we, we also had this like deal that he was the tiebreaker that if we were in the studio and we had an agreement oh. or disagreement, if we we're like, Ed said this and Joe said this, whatever Jay says, we go with. Yep. That that's was, great. Like, just the rule, you know, yeah. that if, if he leans towards Ed's idea, I have to go, then that's the better idea. when that's the one we're going to do. Yeah. Um, or vice versa. Um, which is kind of, in a way, depending where you are in your maturity and your songwriting and your vision, um, you need that. Sure. You know, like yeah. you, you really do need someone to, to say, hey, why don't you guys do this? Or, you know, they're like, hey, why don't you lay off on the fucking kick drum? Less, <laughs> less king, kick drum hits, you know, or, yeah. or whatever, whatever comment that they have, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is pretty neat. Can you kind of break down... I. I view gay for Johnny Depp as a, it's a band, but it's, it's perform It's a, it's performance, you know, like there, there, there's yeah. this, it's this statement. It's less a band to me and more like these guys wanted to like, wanted to walk into a quiet room and drop a glass bottle on a hard floor. Like this was, they yeah. wanted, they, they're poking you in the chest. I mean, it, yeah. It, am I off base there? Like, no. was that <laughs> okay? No. Good. I mean, it does present yeah. itself as very uh, uh, confrontational. People, people had strong feelings about that band, <laughs> one way or the other, which is fine with me. Um, but that makes it more fun, you know? Yeah i I thought I never understood why people would go gaga for bands that. Right, spazzy noise stuff. You know, I know you've interviewed um, my old buddy Adam Marino. I, I'm talking to him on Saturday, actually. No, I, I played. I remember playing with Sasha, and I was like, oh, cool. "That's a they were chaotic like, band. <laughs> they were chaotic, but like you know, I mean, there were there were like 20 people there with her. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, they've just gone up in this legacy of like, oh my god. Yeah. And I used to be like, that shit is so easy to do. Like, you know, and not 
not say shit, but like the, the no. whole like the noise rock stuff, like yeah. the spazzy stuff. I'm like, the, no, nobody's nobody can play to it. The drummers definitely can't play to a trick, click track. Like, there's you know, you're so dissonant, you don't have to worry about like what key you're in or like nope. where, where you're going, where's the movement nope. going. Like, you know, like and seeing a lot of that stuff in the Boston Worcester hardcore scene. Oh, so much. I got a chip on my shoulder. Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Orchid and Converge, obviously. And like, mm-hmm. and so I thought, well, fuck it. Let me try. <laughs> <laughs> and because I grew up listening to like As Factor 4 and Universal Order of Artem Ged and all these bands, I'm, yeah. I find that music effortlessly easy to write. And sure. so, the thing the thing that was neat was the rhythm section, um, which was my roommate and an old buddy of mine at the time, had never listened to that music. They liked um uh Unwound and Rodan and stuff on Touch and Go. Yeah. Yep. More math rocky stuff. Like mm-hmm. they didn't the spazzy stuff didn't mean Jack to them. Yep. And then Artie, once I because we we had recorded and then I got Artie to sing for it. Artie grew up like listening to Born Against mm. and loved confrontational music. He was like, I'll do it. And my first thought was like, You can't do that. Like you're you, like having heard Eric Type Eleven, I'm like you can't. And then he did it, and I was like, yeah. yes, you can. <laughs> um, and so the way we would do it is, we'd make a record, um, completely without Artie. We would rehearse, write, record. Yeah. He would get it, maybe for a week. He would get obliteratedly drunk and do all the vocals in one one night. <laughs> And then I would get it and and mix it. So <laughs> it gives you an idea how talented yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, and so the idea was, and then I wrote all the song titles and I did the presentation and I, you know, we did, it was some collaboration about like how we were going to do the, the stage show. And I just wanted to mock the, the concept of, of a show. Yeah, I wanted to yeah. make fun of it. I wanted to be, you know, different. Like, you know, we the first tour. I think I mostly spoke in German, you know, in the mic, used to confuse people. Like, yeah, just, you know, to just just to make people be like, wait, what? And then I also loved the idea of calling a heavy band gay for Johnny Depp because sure. I I've hated that that you know heavy music is the proclivity of stupid people. I hate that. Like, yeah. um, that. That only dumb people can listen to music, and I and I abhor the tough guy hardcore scene. I think it's just a bunch of knuckle dragon mouth breathers that would have shoved me against a locker and called me a faggot. Like I hate. Them. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I want nothing to do with it, and I'm ashamed that I'm in anything that's remotely considered the same scene. Um, well, so, they all left. The, they all, those guys all went on and didn't do that shit anymore. You know, like that first. You know what I mean? Like yeah. so many of those guys were like, "Well, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore because that's for kids." And, you know, like those, they were literally like, when you look at like chain of strength and youth of today and that, like those, they were kids. And well, those bands, those bands, those bands aren't what I mean when I say tough guy stuff. You're talking I mean, about I mean, like mad ball. Yeah, <laughs> That's talking about mad ball. Yep. Yes. I'm talking about <laughs> yeah. mad ball. The, the guys um, at a show that you're like, ugh, fucking Jesus, Yeah. I'm just dude. like, you know, I've said before, it's like, like, you know, not that those guys couldn't beat me up. I'm sure they could, <laughs> yeah. but, but real tough guys. Like real tough guys, they don't yeah. learn instruments. They're too busy doing crime. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. And you're, you're pretending to, to be a criminal. You guys are cartoon, <laughs> gangs, cartoon gangsters, right? Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I, I can't stand that stuff. Um, it's not for me. But, I, yeah. 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 Um, 
but uh so so gay for johnny depp was like okay well if we're in uh, from this scene and in this scene i'm heavy music yeah yeah i'm gonna make fun of this scene yeah because it's it's just it's it's a little bit you know shooting fish in a barrel some low-hanging fruit but i can make fun of it yeah so that's what that stuff was you know, and so it definitely was performance art. You know, we came out. And the thing about that band is I always knew when we'd walk out on stage, I'm like, my attitude was like, we're amazing. Sure. And yeah. You yeah. hate it or, or yeah. you can love it, but you're not going to change the fact that we're amazing. Yeah. And that was the way I, you know, because there was a lot of ego carrying that whole thing and that yeah. that's how it needed to be presented. You know, there's nothing shy about that band. Yeah. Um, there couldn't be. No, no, you can't with the name and the music. Like it's just you're you're putting it all out there. And and if you if you listen to the band and, and if you you know and you see the name, like and you see the videos, if you go to the show, you don't expect us to just sit there and play and be like, oh, thanks, guys. No, no, thanks yeah. You expect like violence. Mm-hmm. You, know, you expect like to get soaked in beer, and there's probably going to be some blood, and right, probably going to be the singers, and you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. that's like you know that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I I love that it also like because it it extends beyond like spinal tapping them. You know, it's it's you know like because it it was good. Like you were making good music, so like a scene like that can't deny like, Oh, it's, it's really fucking good. But you know, also like, just so you guys know that what you're doing looks dumb and we're, we're showing you how yeah. dumb it can possibly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah. This and, is dumb, right? Isn't this really dumb? Yeah. Oh, wow. Check out this surf song. Okay. Let's go back to being really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, you also like, it can only come from guys like, like you, and like, of course, Artie's in it because you are guys that can write songs that people can sing along to. So for you to tackle like that noisy, oh, I just, it's such a funny, like juxta. I, uh, I, and I, I hope it, you didn't, I, it wasn't meant as an insult because I don't see it as a band. It was a whole, it's a whole thing of it's like. It's a performance art project. It is. It really it is. is. Yeah. It just happens to have records that yeah. <laughs> you can listen Which to. Which is why I don't think that band can ever do a reunion, to be honest with you. I, it like, probably wouldn't work, right? No. I mean, because all my bands, you know, could, with the exception of that one, we could, we could. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was a moment in time that, um, I don't think can be recreated or should be recreated. I, I, I just think that like it, it kind of, it was fine for what it was and it was really cool, but I don't, I, I don't think, I don't think you can pull it off and not be younger. Yeah. Among things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I, I just don't think you like, you know, no one wants to see like Artie and I come out on stage like with our bad knees, you know, right, right, and not be able to do what no. that band should do. You know, yeah. so I, I just don't think of all the bands, I don't think that'll. Which is funny because it's my most successful band. It's you know? it it, but it is funny that like that's the one that it, isn't that perfect though. I mean, really, yeah, like that's how it should be. Yeah, that you the guys you care can, the least about yeah you guys can walk away and go that one was successful and we don't ever have to revisit it like that's <laughs> yeah. there's something very like satisfying about being able to do yeah. that um yeah. the uh the i hate our freedom how did that come to about i i those records are so good i love those thank albums. you i love those thank records you. how I did that project come um, to be um how did that come to be i was 
Justin Security, who had played in Millhouse, was Instructions Roadie in Guitar Tech. And so we spent a lot of time together. And I remember him hearing the Gay for Johnny Depp stuff, and he loved it. And we wanted to do something heavy, but a little bit more straightforward. Like, mm-hmm. um, I really liked the cast iron hike and, yeah, uh, sure. you know, heavy, heavy, thoughtful, but like, you know, songs, not as, yeah. not as noisy as gay for Johnny Depp. And we also obviously huge fans of Jehu and rocket from the crypt. And all sure. That. So we got Steve, who was the original drummer for Game Face. No, he was, well, he wasn't the original, but he was the drummer for Game Face, and he was playing in Godfire's Man with us at the time. Mm-hmm. And he did the demo. And then my friend Scott, who played bass in Pilot, who sang for Pilot to Gunner, played bass. And we did that first record really <clears throat> quick with Ethan. The first record's like really quick. Yeah. Um, and then it just kind of became a revolving door of whoever had time to do it because mm-hmm. everyone at, at that time, we were all kind of in our, I guess our thirties, if I remember correctly. And everybody just like, you know, we'd get busy. So like yeah, Jack was moving and um, Scott Padden was busy with Pilot the Gunner. And so we got Tucker from Thursday because he was just a friend to play drums and Scott Weingard from Texas. The reason was like, I'll play bass. And we're like, great. And then they played with us and then they couldn't do it anymore. So we got Matt from um, Boy Sets Fire to play drums yep. and uh, Scott Padden from Pilot the Gunner came back on bass. And so it was just like whoever was around yeah. to play would yeah. play. Um, but it was, it was Justin and I, so we had the, we had the ideas. And so you can, you can really hear the difference between those two records being the, the one, the first one's really lighthearted and the rhythm section is really lighthearted. And then when we got Tucker and Scott, when you get people of a certain caliber, you have to write to them. Sure. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we couldn't have done another first record with, tucker because i mean he could play it but but you kind of like you're like well i want to use him man like he's really talented like Mm -hmm. i want to use his ability whereas like jack on the first record is really good at that stuff and so we're like it's that miles davis kind of thing i'm talking about again like the right combination of right people you're like what kind of music do we can we best do together yeah when we got to the next record we're like what kind of music can we do together that's best and so yep sort of went where things went yeah and i you you see that come through. There's such a pedigree in that band, though. I mean, collectively between all of you, that's a that's kind of a. That's four guys in a van trying to constantly one up each other with tour stories. <laughs> I mean, oh god, you guys! But this one time, I'm hanging out with Tommy Lee. Oh yeah, well I was yeah. hanging out with blah blah blah. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean yeah, that, and even like the the revolving door aspect of it, it was yeah. still just like this constant all star team making those records. Yeah, it was it was the the emo all star team. It really it was, was. Everybody was in emo hardcore. It was on like a, signed to a major label at some point. Yeah. Play with me. Yeah. <laughs> There's, it's funny because there is kind I mean, of a. We should call ourselves the also Rams. <laughs> <laughs> There's like this era with like, with I Hate Our Freedom and uh, Saleya. Uh, oh, yeah. Like uh, the, those bands that are just like these. I, and I, I wasn't, I guess the Racket Club 
would be another one technically, which is technically, yeah, yeah. yeah, like these bands that are just like, I mean, you guys are all just showing up with just like, I mean, holding all your medals, like, let's, yeah, know. you know, let's form this all-star team, man. Like the, those, and, and the records sound exactly what you would think when a bunch of really good fucking songwriters are oh, working together. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that, that, that record club record, I'm a huge fan of. It's really good. And I have to be honest with you. Like, I really like Knapsack. I really like the, the Jealous Sound. I really like the Racket Club record. I'm so brokenhearted that they didn't do more. I, I've listened to that thing probably like a hundred times. As much as I've, I've listened to Knapsack over the years, I feel like the Racket Club might be my favorite That's thing amazing. he's ever. Oh God, like all the songs are perfect. That I, yeah. incredible. Um, so. I I, I want to talk about what you're working on now because um, sure. I, I feel like that's a good way to kind of bring this to a close. You have two bands going on right now, um, mm-hmm. both of which I'm excited about. So uh, we'll start with the Judas Knife. Uh, you've brought it up a couple times. Uh, is it Drew from Into yeah. Another? Drew Thomas. Yeah, he's yeah. a drummer. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, he's a really, really wonderful guy to collaborate with. Um, and so this is kind of just he and I, and, um, it's, we started, everything was written based around the drum beat. So, okay. You know, I say it's kind of a cross between shellac and Depeche mode, but what we did was I, you know, I spent a lot of time listening to like Mm T-Rex, um, or parliament stuff that like stuff that's playing when you walk into a bar and it doesn't matter what part of the record's on. You're just like, yeah, you know it, you feel it. Yep. You know, and I wanted to write a record that kind of had that vibe to it, that had like just this like, fuck yeah, man. So Drew is such a wonderful player and he's a great collaborator because I was, you know, we would start with a drum beat. We would like sit down like for like a week, we'd listen to Parliament, Funkadelic and then, or the meters and they would be like, okay, let's write something. Yep. And, you know, then we'd craft it around basically all the practices were just guitar and um, drums not even vocals really and then so we wrote the framework for the songs like that yeah you know so we didn't rely on oh is there a hook the vocals the vocals doing we just wanted the guitar and drums to sound good together for a long enough period of time yeah then when we made the record i played the bass the other guitars and all the vocals uh some keys and then justin my friend justin williams did some some sort of synthy really cool stuff on top of it he hadn't heard the stuff until like it was already recorded and I was like, yeah, you got a week to put down tracks. So, um, <laughs> so that's really fun. And that's a real departure for me. And I'm singing in a lower register for the most part. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's really neat too. It goes high a little bit, but for the most part, I'm not pushing my voice. You're not going it in, a, yeah. in a really more comfortable register. And then her head's on fire is more <clears throat> what you'd expect of me from, from the Garrison, I hate her freedom world. It's guitar rock. Um, my friend, Jeff Dean, who was in a band called the bomb and, um, the story so far and a bunch of stuff like that. And he plays guitar. Jeff Gernston Bloom, uh, from small Brown bike plays drums. And oh, Rodrigo from saves the day plays bass. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, it's the all-star stuff, but like it, it just, um, that's just like, you know, sort of rem oasis um, yeah sam i am kind of stuff like yep. we just wanted to write like you know cool happy songs and that's super easy because there's no judgment and everybody trusts each other 
So, you know, sure. Jeff writes the songs. I write the vocals. The other guys do their parts and we're like, great. There's no, maybe once in a blue moon, like someone will go. And we've actually only practiced three times in the same room. But, you know, <laughs> you know, sometimes someone will go, should we extend that part? And everyone goes, yeah, good idea. Let's do that. There's no yeah. discussion. There's no like, right. I don't know, man. Does extending that part, like speak about who I am? <laughs> You're right. Like, there's none of that bullshit. <laughs> I just go, does that sound cool? Yeah, it sounds cool. But yeah. Um, and so that record, I'm actually doing vocals this weekend. Um, and that'll oh, cool. be finished. That'll be finished. I guess it'll be mixed and mastered in probably within a month. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and then we just got to find a label that wants to put it out. Even though sure. we can put it out ourselves. <laughs> beginning of this conversation yeah i yeah. still want somebody to put it out on vinyl it's still yes. I, I still i like the artifact i do too i feel and this is weird to say but i feel that if it doesn't come out on vinyl mm-hmm. it's not a real record yeah no yeah i, I hate I saying that. that but like i just want it to, i want it to exist yeah even if it's only for like 200 people yeah and you know that's just what I want. It, it's like, look, man, stuff like Arctic Rodeo exists Thank solely God. today. Thank God for, for Frederick. Oh God, he's yeah. he's, right? he's oh, man, oh man, yes, like uh, you know the the stuff that he's he's you know brought back. Oh, I mean, <sighs> that guy's a that guy's a savior for that. Uh, is there um, is when you were what I can't remember what show were you on? This was the scene. Um, mm-hmm. I think you had mentioned something about, uh, uh, Garrison recordings. Is there, Oh yeah. Yeah. Is Garrison, there, so iodine records is yeah. um, my friend Casey and they started up again and he's going to be re-releasing the Ben before the break. It's been remastered and the whole thing's oh, going to be on great. vinyl. Cause the, yeah, it was just the three songs on the seven inch. It was never the whole five song EP. Yeah. And then it's going to have some B sides of that have already been released, but, um, and it's got a really beautiful package and cover, and that's super exciting. And that's, that that's, was the impetus for the for the um, big group therapy Zoom call. Of course, here. yeah, yeah. Um, and if you know if that goes pretty well, he may do some other stuff. That's cool. I just found the old the old two inch tapes for Mile of Cold Water, so we're talking about maybe remixing and remastering that. Okay, cool. Um, oh man, because you know, that would sound very different. Um, but we'll see about that. And then as far as shows go. With Garrison, um, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no reason not to. Sure. Uh, It's just that it's just the logistics of it. So you know, I live in New York City. Those guys live in Boston. So you know, they would be responsible for the heavy lifting. They have to do all the rehearsals. I I would come in for a couple rehearsals and then do a show. Like it wouldn't be. They would have to, you know, get back up to speed. Right. Right. Um, and which I think they're probably willing to do. I guess it's just a question of when and what the thing about this whole COVID and the pandemic is it's been great for reissues. Yeah. Because everybody can't go to shows. Right. So everyone's reliving the old days and they go, Oh God, remember when we could go to shows? Yep. So they listen to these old records. Um, and the demand is there for it. it. I don't know if there'll be a demand for people to see Garrison when this is over. Maybe. I think there's, I think on the backside of this, I, I really do see that era of like, I guess it'd be my, our generation of band. Like I look yeah. at that, our generation of like, it's, 
and it, it, you know, it can't just be my algorithms on social media. Like I feel like it's, it's, it's everywhere. And like, this is something you may not realize, but like there's a whole emo movement on TikTok where bands from that era. Yeah. And they, there's these battles of like the, who is the elder Who's the elder emo here? Who's and where somebody's like, well, you know, I am because of this. Here comes here comes somebody else going, no, 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 no. This is because this is from this era. And it's fascinating. But what happens is all these bands keep getting brought up. So like the you know, like you're gonna hear like bands like like Garrison and um like braid or bands like that, like those names will pop up. Some 14 year old kid doesn't know that and let that band, unless somebody's introduced them to introduce them to that band. Cool. So it has a way of circling back around, I guess. I mean, it's, 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 it's really humbling and awe-inspiring that people still care. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and yep. if that people, if those people are 20 people or 20,000 people, like, you know, the band broke up 18 years ago. Uh-huh. And the fact that like, you know, we put out, the record with Frederick on yeah. Arctic Rodeo and the fact that we're going to get to do this on iodine, like that's awesome. It's cool. And, and I, and that's awesome in the true sense of the word. Like yeah. I, that, that's very humbling. Um, yeah. I, I never thought, yeah, I never thought that. That's cool. I, and, and for what it's worth, I, I told several people that I, I was going to have you on the show and they were like, Oh, like they were like, like fucking all. Oh, then, then you start talking. Then it starts talking about Garrison Records, and you know, conversations hatch. So I, it is, it is cool. It is cool that I, I think your that era of music, you guys have all made yourself accessible. Not everybody like I, and this is just me because I've never met the man. But I look at a guy like Ian Mackay. That's a very intimidating presence to me. Mm. I, like, because I I have him on this, like, you know, I have him on this, you know, pedestal. And then, you know, years later when I would get to share, you know, get to play shows with guys like you, like you guys and all these other bands that are like, I'm buying your records, but now I get to play with you. And I'm like, oh, these are wonderful human beings that will absolutely talk to you, which Ian Mackay is probably a very nice man who would be willing to talk. But it your your generation of bands made yourselves accessible to fans. And it yeah. matters today. No, I hope so. Yeah, it it's, does. it's interesting when, like, I find uh, not to keep us going on forever, but I do good, find like, the idea of fame um, interesting. Someone like Ian, and I was, mm-hmm. I was actually telling this to um, Walter Streifels, like Walter and Ian are just famous enough. Yes, <laughs> that. Everybody they talk to, for the most part, throughout the day, other than their immediately family, is gonna talk about that interaction. Yes, they are. Do you know what I mean? Like if I if I see somebody at a coffee shop and I'm like, oh hey man, like I'm I'm like you know, maybe I'm like weirded out or in a bad mood or whatever, they're not gonna be like, hey man, I saw Joe from Garrison. He was kind of blah blah. If Walter or Ian, yeah, do that, like that's gonna reverberate. Yeah, that's fucking strange. Like that's a very <laughs> weird thing for them to carry. Like, you know, like, like pe- nobody recognizes me. Like, like they're just at a particular, like, not, not a household name, but not, not unknown. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a strange thing they have to go through. It is a weird, they're in a weird bracket. Of, a weird bracket. Yeah. Of like, like you said, like it, um, 
I, I don't know who told the story, but uh, apparently, like, uh, Paul McCartney, apparently, like, whenever someone meets him, he does give them a, a you know, gives pause to let them process it. He's not shitty about it. No, he's amazing. He lets them, like, oh, my God, I'm right in front of Paul McCartney. And then he says hello. And he's like, that. that is a much different, you know, seeing a beetle would be, it's like seeing a fucking UFO sort of thing, you know? He's arguably the most famous person on the planet. Right, right. I have a good story about Paul McCartney. I'll tell you later. Okay, cool. Um, they, uh, but, like, Walter and Ian are guys, like, from our world that it's like, well, that's Walter. That's, you know, that's Walter Trifles. That's a big deal. Uh, yeah, but but it's not. But it is no, and it isn't. It's like, it isn't. It's, like, yeah. it's like that same thing, like, with Jay Robbins. It's like, oh, yeah. my God, it's Jay Robbins. But it's not. It's just Jay. It's just and Jay. the same thing. Yep. I've never met Ian, but I can imagine the same thing. Like mm-hmm. you're like, oh my god, it's like Ian McKay, and then you hang out with him a couple times. And you're like, yeah, it's Ian. Yep, he's, there he is. He's over there. there. He's kind of yeah. quiet. Yep. You know? Yeah, we um, have the Necros are from this area. You know, yeah. that's that's our musical claim to fame. Very approachable human beings. <laughs> you know, they're just, you know, they just happen think, to be part of a punk are. rock legacy. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think most people are. I think most people want to be. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Paul McCartney, man. He's an interesting I, guy. Can't imagine. I can't like. He, well, I'll tell you the story. You don't have to put it on the, the podcast, but. Um, well, if I it's was, a good, if if you like this story, I want to leave this in here. It's a good story. All right, then. You, then Here's you, my Paul McCartney story. Here we go, Paul <laughs> McCartney story. <laughs> Paul McCartney story. So my wife and I um, were taking a very, you know. It's like a nice Sunday in New York City, romantic walk in Central Park. Sure. And she said, you know, let's let's go uh, get a glass of wine at Bemelman's Bar in the Carlisle Hotel. It's a beautiful old hotel. Bemelman's Bar is famous because the guy, um, Louis Bemelman, um, did the illustrations for the Madeline books. Yeah, okay. Uh, he, so he illustrated the walls of the bar. So I think it's featured in um, the Bill Murray Christmas special. I think that's shot in Bemelman's Oh, bar. no shit? Just to give you an idea. Okay. So okay. we go to this little bar, and there's like a yeah. piano player. We sit down, we have a glass of wine, very just pleasant thing. And, you know, she's sitting in the corner, I'm facing her, and her eyes go wide, and I go, she's probably somebody famous. And I turn around, and I see Paul McCartney. I've seen a lot of famous people, because just living in New York. You're living in New York, I went, yeah. I went cold. Like, Oh, my God. I was like, oh. He walks in. He says to the piano player, because I guess he has a room at the Carlisle Hotel. He says to the piano player, hey, man, like, what's going on? Listen, uh, my girlfriend is going to be here in about 20 minutes. You you know her? And he's like, yeah, of course. He's playing piano the whole time. He goes, when she comes in, can you play this old French standard? And he goes, of course, of course. Then he goes to the bar. He orders two drinks, one for himself and one for his girlfriend. And he sits down next to us. And I just say to my wife, I said, we're having another round. Yeah, you are. <laughs> and so we just sit there. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say anything to him because there's nothing to say to him. No. You know? um, and 20 minutes later, his girlfriend comes and she sits down, and we're about five feet away. And the piano player starts playing the standard, and I get to listen to Paul McCartney sing in his girlfriend's ear in French. What the fuck? And I'm just sitting there and being like, I'm so happy right now. <laughs> Because I'm just I'm just allowed into this little window yes. that I don't want to disturb. I'm not going to talk to him. He's having a nice moment. He doesn't need that from me. No. I'm just experiencing this with my wife. I'm like, then we finish our drinks. Here we go. It was great. Oh, my God. It was just perfect. It was just like exactly if, if you could have 
asked me, how would you, if you could, you know, meet yeah. somebody, how would you like to meet somebody? That was it. I was like, <sighs> never made eye contact with him. Got to hear him saying his girlfriend's here. Left. Perfect. Holy shit. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank God you told that on here. <laughs> uh, uh, Joseph, where do you want people to, do? you know, if you want them to follow you on Instagram, please give your Instagram handle. No, they can okay. follow my bands on Instagram. They don't there we go. How about we do that? <laughs> that's yeah, reserved um, for me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, her head's on fire. Uh, and um, she was nice. And if you want, Garrison has a page, although I don't control it. Yeah, but people are more than happy to to to, to follow Garrison. Yes, and uh, that the the re- the one record of B sides is available still from Arctic Rodeo, right? Yes. Uh, no. Uh, or is well, it stick gone? Figure, is... Stick figure might have it. I think it's it's sold out from Arctic Rodeo for sure. But Stick figure might have a couple copies kicking around. So if okay, if they do, they do. That's a pretty record. And the nice thing about it is it has a show list of every show we ever played. Which, oh, that's so cool. Which, hold on. I should be out of here. <laughs> do you remember the date? Do you remember the date of the show? I don't. Um, uh, God, no, I don't. Do you remember the year ish? I mean, it would have been. It would have been early two thousands. What year? What do you remember? Like oh one, oh two. I think Be a Criminal was out. Ohio was it? Toledo. Toledo. Give me a second. Mm-hmm. Was Element 101 on the show? Mm, maybe. Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to find this. There's a lot of poor choices between that day and here. Bottle Rocket, Toledo, Ohio, December 12th with the breakup. That's us. There you go. Yep. Uh, and then uh, we did one in Wilkes-Barre, too, before that, but I can't remember. Can't remember where. It was like a little coffee shop. Do you remember? Wasn't there like a weird strip club beside it, or like a bar that had a strip club stage? Yep. How was that? Oh, that's yeah. funny. A week previous, we played the makeshifts in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, with Coheed and Cambria and Breaking Pangea. That was a mechanics garage, and I think there were maybe eight people there. Ah, touring. Here, me, oh my. <laughs> me, oh my. The glamour um, of the road. Yeah, glamour. <laughs> I mean, it's great when you're young. It's the yeah. best in the world. Yeah, it's, right? it's cool memories for sure. You get to meet some cool people. Yeah. Hey. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's nice. All right, my man. Well, thank you very much. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, guys, look for, uh, look for, uh, her head's on fire. The Judas knife on Instagram, and uh, there is a Garrison account. Uh, you, you guys can follow as well. Joseph, thank you, man. Thank you for coming thank on. So much, um, and when uh, the records come out, please uh, feel free come back on. We'll promote the shit out of them, man. I'd love to thank have you, you back so on. Much. That would be a blast. Yes. I'm gonna hit stop here, and then we'll say a proper human goodbye. Sounds great. All right, we'll talk to you guys next week. Later. <laughs>